All right, everybody, welcome to La- uh, Lando Lakers Live here. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky uh, on Facebook and on Twitter and Periscope. Uh, and of course, the podcast brought to you by deliciouspizza.com, two locations in Los Angeles, West Adams and Hollywood. Andy, this game three, Lakers versus Portland inside the bubble strangest first half of basketball I think I've ever seen, but in the second half, the Lakers really turned it on. And I, this was a significant, significant game for the Lakers, not just that they won, but I think how they won. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they stayed the course during an absolutely miserable first half. Um, they missed 13 free throws. They got to the line 31 times and missed 13 of those free throws. They were three of 12, from behind the arc, and they had 12 turnovers. And in part because LeBron really put forth a superhuman effort to keep the thing going, just keeping it from going off the rails. And also, frankly, and we'll get into this, I think Portland just did not cash in enough yeah, on an opportunity they had chances. like this. You're right. They, they had they, chances. I think Portland, to whatever degree, they truly believe in themselves, like believe in their ability to pull off an upset they're going to look at tonight as a major missed opportunity with everything that I named going wrong for the Lakers in the first half. They were only down four. And then, Brian, they, they righted the ship and then some. They just controlled the thing. Yeah, it was really, it was, it, it was really impressive to me. And there's, there's a ton of stuff we want to cover tonight because, you know, I, I asked before the game, Andy, the two things we talked about in our little preview, uh, Rajon Rondo, who really, I mean, Super rondo thing to do, screw up our little preview that we put out there, didn't end up playing. But the question I asked, when was LeBron going to be scoring LeBron? Like, that guy is important, and the Lakers haven't seen him yet, uh, really, in the, in, the, in the first two games. The answer to that question was, right away, what was going to happen to AD? Where would the secondary ball handling come from? Like, all of that stuff, and it all played out here. And then there was some really cool... Uh, entertaining little bits that came with it. You, where do you want to start? You want to start on LeBron? You want to start with AD? Um, um, you know what? I, I want to start with AD just okay. because I think this was really important for Anthony Davis in terms of you know really showing what he means to this team, what he's capable of, and the way that he's approaching this playoffs, not just on, on the court, but I think mentally as well because like we've talked about many times, during the playoffs, but also over the course of this season, Anthony Davis has never been in this type of position before tonight. He came, he responded from a really rough first half in terms of scoring. He was missing a lot of free throws as well. And then the second half, he started finding a rhythm, really asserting himself, scoring at the rim, scoring from mid range. And, you know, he, he took a first half where he at least was setting up other guys. I believe he had seven assists in that first half. Right. And, or, or, excuse me, five assists in the first He wasn't half. unproductive. It just was, no, but, it was but, very disjointed, look, missed free it, throws. There was yeah, all, I mean, it was just, it wasn't right. No, it, it wasn't right. And, you know, this is also coming off a brilliant game, too. But after game one, you're wondering, okay, is he going to be up and down? How is he going to respond to a first half like this where he clearly doesn't have it going? And the second half, Anthony Davis was a big reason that the Lakers just poured it on and no matter what type of runs Portland had, and they had a few 
it was never enough. It's it's I, it's probably hyperbolic to you know to you know get to like it's the most important at like half of. But as a Laker, you know, in his time here, if, there will hopefully be many more important twenty-four minutes uh, worth of basketball that Davis will play. But this felt a little bit like a turning point, like like this could go either way kind of moment. How is he going to respond to that first half? And he he didn't force it. He got to the line, but he, you know the free throws weren't going down. And if he comes back out, even if the Lakers win, and they might have with him playing kind of a subpar second half, you know the 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 chirping and the chatter and all that stuff gets louder. Now, you know he did what stars do, which is come back from mediocre play and and do big things and it was you know he hit a couple threes at the beginning of the uh, third quarter he had a, a two-man game i think at one point didn't they run that same little uh they ran pop action with ac four times in a row yes without yes. caruso yes it, it was i believe four times in a row certainly multiple times this one i mean we'll we'll get into him in a while because yeah, it's you know, this was really important with without question you know not just the best game of alex caruso's Playoff career, you could argue this is the best game of his career. It's the most he's ever looked like a point guard. Like, yeah, you know, like oh, Alex Caruso is an actual point guard, point guard, not like a guy who can play point guard while LeBron plays point guard. Um, yeah. or or the guy that does the proverbial little things. But but yeah. staying with staying with AD, just when he plays the way he did in the second half, and. LeBron, you know, the totality of LeBron's game. And LeBron actually in the first half had some struggles as well. He had a multiple turnovers. He also missed a lot of free throws, but was so dominating getting to the basket. The first half, LeBron had 22 points on nine shots. Again, missed five three free throws. Also six rebounds, three assists, five turnovers. But, man, LeBron really was a – he was, you could argue, the biggest reason that Portland could not cash in on what they should have been building up in that first half. Because yeah. the only way Portland can win games against a team like the Lakers is they've got to build up a big lead and put themselves in a position where trading baskets is okay. Like if they can trade right. baskets, Portland has a chance. If they can't do that, they're, they're simply not good enough defensively. And you also wonder too, without Zach Collins, Despite a night where Mello, CJ McCollum, and Dame all played pretty well, if they even have enough offensive firepower. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we talked about it, um, you know, kind of between ourselves on, at, 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 at the end of the game, you know, just texting back and forth. Like, Portland looked like they ran out of gas, and it's easy to understand um, why they've been playing a short rotation in, like, essentially a string of game sevens yeah. For like two and a half weeks. It's not, like it's not a criticism to be like, oh, Portland's out of gas. They've given up. Dame is weak. And all that. no, these guys have been going full tilt for a lot longer than the Lakers have, and so that that matters. But you know, you make this point all the time talking about you know playoff games, different series. When you are not the better team, and the better team leaves the door open for you, you have to go through it. And if yeah. you don't. You're entire, and I, I think to some degree that's what you know they're talking about tonight on Blazers post game live streams and all that kind of stuff was, oh my God, we had a chance in that first half where you know I'm just looking, looking at some of these. The Lakers had 12 turnovers in the first half. The, the Lakers numbers 
if you look at their field goal percentages and like what LeBron did and all that, they weren't terrible. It was 12 turnovers. And I believe, I, I, I believe I wrote this down, Andy, correctly. The Lakers missed 193 free throws in the first half. <laughs> they were. They that, that's correct. Right. It's yes. 193. It sure felt, it sure felt that way. Right. I mean, uh, and especially when you're watching like, you know, and this was really from the beginning, like, the yeah. first few minutes, you're seeing Anthony Davis, who is a career, I believe, mid-80s. Mid-80s and has been I mean, he's is excellent. Yeah, I mean, he's you You expect this to a certain degree from LeBron because if there's really been one Achilles, like a consistent Achilles heel or Achilles to LeBron's game, it's he's never been as good at the line as you would think somebody of a stature would Yeah, be. LeBron said it himself after game one. You're used to seeing me miss free throws. You're yeah. not used to seeing AD do it. Right. And, and seeing AD do, AD do it to this extreme, I mean, that that you start watching that going like, uh-oh, like is it, what's about to be set up here? Like what, what's this about to look like? Yeah, you're right. And, you know, I, I felt a little in this game like I did after – uh, game one, where you look at it and you're like, oh my God, they did everything wrong. And we, we went over those numbers, Andy, after game one. Like, and then the next day, you see more stuff from like ESPN stats and info and, you know, the, all the, you know, behind the, 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 the you know, uh, you know, the, the different analytics sites and uh, cleaning the glass guys and all this stuff is like, you know, parts of the offense you didn't even know existed were terrible in game one. I felt a little bit like that after in, in this one. It's like, you know, God, they're not going to miss that many free throws again. Davis isn't going to score six points in the second half again. And, you know, Lillard and McCollum, who were just incredible in the first half, probably slow down a little bit maybe in the second. And the Lakers are still right there in that game. I felt very confident in the second half, but you don't know. And the way they came out in the third quarter, I think to me it was the first time since they got into the bubble that as a group, not just, you know, LeBron looked good or AD looked good, but as a group, they looked like a team that rightly should be a finals favorite. They had, I don't think they looked, even though, you know, the Denver game, parts of the Utah game, the Clipper game, there were a lot of mitigating factors in that. I don't think they looked like that until the third quarter tonight. Yeah, th this was the best the Lakers have looked, certainly since entering the bubble. Yeah, I mean, it's the best they've looked since uh, that weekend against the Bucs and the Clippers. You know, that, that weekend where it felt like yeah. the Lakers had really established themselves as the team to beat in the NBA. Like, when you get superstar performances from LeBron and Anthony Davis like they did, but then, you know, KCP, who, you know, a few very KCP, what the bleep is yeah, going I, on. Casey, you know, what I figured, you know what I figured out about KCP during this game? You know what he looks like? He is... In a, in a world where everyone moves at regular speed, KCP is one of those baseball players from old-timey films. Where he's always, like, moving. Like, everyone else is moving it's regular. Like, like, KCP is like, regular. He's it's moving like, the, like a 2X speed in well, a 1X world. Well, it's you know what it's like? You know how all the footage we see of Babe Ruth running? Like, his legs yeah, are like this. Really, 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 right, that's him, old-timey him baseball. In him in particular. Like, if anybody wants an example of this, just, like, look for Babe Ruth. Because he, I mean, maybe he just was faster than everyone else because he was such an oh, amazing but Like, you know, but even like when they're just yeah. playing catch, it's like, you know, like, hi. You know, they, like, yeah. like Walter Johnson, here we go. Like, like, and sometimes the results, like the first half, are 
awful. And like, and you're just like, and so we are, tw- by the way, our, the synergy on our tweeting game tonight was we, we were very much thinking the same things. I think we had like four simultaneous tweets about the same people, but um, like, you know, KCP was doing some terrible things in the first half, wildly out of control. Then he comes back in the second half, hits three in the third quarter, three, three, three pointers. It was a two in the, in the third quarter, but the defense was there and, you know, he finished a cover. He had that dunk, you know, and all this stuff. Like, just when you want to, again, he's a great guy. So it's not like I'm rooting for him to play, but like just when you're ready to be like, okay, they need to sit him down and, and leave him there. He, he redeems himself in ways that are just amazing. The swings with KCP are wider, I think, than any player in the NBA. I mean, let me, let me tell you something. People used to complain about Lamar Odom being inconsistent. You folks had no idea, Laker fans, what you were about to step into with the KCP experience. Like, Lamar Odom looks like Tim Duncan <laughs> compared to KCP. I mean, and I say this as somebody who thinks Odom got picked on a little bit too much for that. But, you know, there, there's no question that occasionally you watch Lamar going like, what's what's going on, man? And, and you know, and you're not going to find a bigger Lamar Odom fan than me. No. Like, but there'd be, there'd be times you're just like, dude, like, what, what's going on in your head, man? Like, but but he is but, a but, but, but compared to KCP, Lamar bedrock. was. You're right. He's Tim Duncan. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's amazing. Um, but you yeah, have that, so, and then uh, you you've got you know a, a, let us a, down a, a rabbit hole there. But KCP KCP took us down the rabbit hole. Right. KCP took us down the rabbit hole as as is often part of the KCP experience. Um, Danny Green more solid, only eight points, but he was more efficient. Like he. He had some good, you know. He had that one sequence uh, down the stretch where he had two blocks on one. Well, you saw his value. You saw his value defensively, yeah. and then yeah, definitely Alex Caruso, ten points, seven assists, only two turnovers, a block, um, three of five from the field, and like we talked about in that second half, running a legit two-man game with Anthony Davis. All those things we're talking about in the second half, like you mentioned, that's what makes you feel like the Lakers really are capable of pouring it on just about any team in the league. Right. I asked, uh, I asked uh, Frank Vogel after the game, like what it, because this was this was like we said earlier, the point guardiest game. I've ever seen Alex Caruso play like where he looks like a, like a point guard like this. And on a night, I think I'm not saying AC did it any differently, but it's just, there's an irony to it being on the night that Rondo was supposed to come back. And we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, why the Lakers might need Rajon Rondo, despite the fact that you don't want to need him in that way, just because there is not a lot of secondary playmaking on this team. You know, for Caruso to come out and really lead and orchestrate the offense for big chunks, particularly of the second half. Better than he's done his entire career. Right. And, you know, he'll tell you, and he said after the game, these are not complicated reads. It's pick and pop stuff that point guards can do and whatever. And I thought he was trying to do some of that in the first half and was pressing a little bit. But in the second half, the rhythm, like kind of locked into the right rhythm. Vogel said after the game, because I asked him about it, like, what does that do? Like when you have a guy on the floor with LeBron who can do that, and he talked about it, it makes LeBron puts him off the ball. And now, you know, not only is he not working as hard, which is a benefit to your team, when LeBron isn't, you think LeBron draws attention when he's on the ball, he does, but he also draws tremendous attention when he's not. And so, you know, you're defending, you're trying to, you know, figure out where, 
So it opens up the floor in so many different ways that, and also if Caruso can do this on a nightly basis, it limits the amount you actually need to use Rondo and well, you can he, use him much I mean, more strategically or deploy him yeah. or not at all. If you don't need to, No, not at all. Like, you understand what I'm oh, saying? Yeah, like, absolutely. It's like, it's almost he almost becomes like JaVale McGee where you can put him in the positions where he is most likely to succeed and you get the best value and you don't have to try to squeeze 25 minutes out of him. You can do 12 and maybe get the best 12 out of Rondo. Well, and it's really worth noting this, too, with Caruso, because Rajon Rondo was supposed to be active tonight. He ended up having right, that's what I'm saying. Right, but, but like the, the, idea, the idea that you can do this, I, I feel like with, with Caruso, you know, it, it's not just like the, the idea that you have to put Rondo on the floor, but it also – allows for different combinations with Rondo out there. It, it maybe it prevents you from having to rely too much on Rondo himself if he's going to end up being out there. It perhaps allows uh, it allows Caruso to you know work as more of an off-ball guy or or whatever. So you're not tempted for whatever reason to put J.R. Smith on the floor. Like Frank Vogel did tonight. Yeah, that um, was a, that was actually a question, Andy, that came through in the uh in the chat from Brazil uh, three TFJR doing out there. I think we all know what TF means. Uh, my answer to that is a shrug emoji. I don't know. I, I, I hope it doesn't happen again. It may not. I have, it was, look, it was interesting to see this just because JR got minutes and Dion waiters did. And, you know, I would not have been surprised. And I think I speak for you as well. If neither of them really played at all, because I don't think either one of them really made a strong case for themselves in the bubble, you know, for oh, God, to be no. a part of Dion, but Dion more than Jr. That's, and that's what why I was people are say. surprised. That's what I was going to say. If one of them was going to end up getting minutes, I would have thought it would have been Dion Waiters. And I, and I, I tweeted this out at, at Cam Brothers during the game. Jr.'s minutes all came alongside LeBron. They, they were only alongside LeBron. So maybe Frank Vogel's thinking is with LeBron out there, he's going to be handling the overwhelming majority of playmaking anyway. So J.R. Smith becomes a theoretical floor spacer, you know, ignoring the fact that the guy hasn't hit a shot since I'm not even joking. 2018. Yes. Like, this is not, that's not hyperbole. Like he really has not hit shots consistently since then, because he's basically been out of the league that Well, way. Andy, you know, I think you, how many field goals does he have? Like, you're almost true in the most literal sense. He hasn't hit a shot he, since I, 2018. I mean, <laughs> like you're, it, and I feel bad. Like, like, we can all, as goofy as JR's career has been, and it's been that, you know, it has. And he's had a great NBA career. The guy, you know, came into the league as a high school player. Sure. No, and, and he's he, still doing it at 30, whatever. And I mean, he, he's had a great know, career. He, he shouldn't be on the floor anymore. Right. He played a role, in, a legitimate role, in LeBron getting that championship in 2016. But that being said, do you know Do you know what LeBron – sorry. Uh, I mean, uh, what JR is shooting. Uh, in the bubble? Playoffs in – do you want know he's shooting from behind the arc in the bubble? Zero. Nope. Don't, don't – come on. Put some respect <laughs> on his name. He is, he's got he one shooting, he's shooting nine percent nine percent what's he season. shooting overall though um 
Overall, I, I, I mean, it's hard to do the math. I think he's, he's got like two. He got like two buckets in the postseason. He is in the postseason. It's in the low thirties. The regular season in the bubble, he shot nine percent. So not good. He's not. He, frankly, I don't think he's any more of a floor spacer than Dion at this no, point. No. Um. I, I don't suspect we will be seeing much more of uh, Jr whether Rondo comes back or not. Yeah. He just, I think that's certainly, that's certainly the hope. He just, I mean, and it's, there's been a couple times now that he's actually gotten on the floor uh, before Dion. And I don't know what the rationale is, but I do know that it's not justifiable. Like it's just, it is not, it is not. I agree with you. Um, and it'll be, we, we I, don't criticize Vogel often, but I don't, I, I don't, I, and I, there are, I will say this, there are not a ton of great options. I thought Kyle Kuzma played a really active first half. Uh, he was cutting very well. He was one of the few guys who didn't sort of seem sort of stilted or stuck in the mud or whatever it is. The Lakers were, I think, were, were efforting in the first half. There was, everything was off. They had 12 turnovers. Just They were missing free throws. They were failing in weird ways that threw off the rhythm of everything that they were trying to do. Um yeah, but the defense overall, you know, for all the, the that damage that Dame and McCollum did in the first half, the numbers for Portland weren't great. They just they shot the lights out from three point range. They were under forty percent in the first half. Yeah. Um. So you know, Markeith Morris isn't doing a ton. Uh. You know, they're they're not getting a lot of stuff out of a lot of people. So I think maybe if you're Vogel, you're thinking in this series we're good enough to win. We, even if I try to steal minutes for these guys and see if I can get them out there and see if they can be contributors and all that kind of stuff, as we go on, may not be able to do that. I may need them against Houston, and I, you know, I may need them against the Clippers. I got to try to give. That's probably, I think, the rationale is that we're good enough to win anyway. But he's, I, I just don't know what you, I don't know what you're expecting, J.R. Smith to give you. I, I would rather see them run their experimental minutes with Dion. Yes. With the, with the caveat that I, you know, there are, I haven't gone back to look, I haven't read a lot of, you know, I haven't, I don't know like the rotational things and like lineups and, but it's, they're interchangeable enough, but anyway. Well, I mean, look, honestly, I would run with Quinn cook before I'd run with Jr. because at least Quinn a is a better shooter at this stage of his career. If you're looking right. at shooting, but, that, but that's significant. But then you're talking about like, and, if you want a, a, a wing guy versus a, a point guard, sure. like, you know, I, so you're, that's all I'm saying. Whatever. I mean, he, J, Jr. as far as the way he's going to match up as a wing versus Quinn cook, who is really, a, a, who's really but against shooting but against guard Dame, you got to put him on Dame or, or I, McCall. I, I, man, I, 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 I'm just thinking Andy, I'm thinking aloud. I, I all I'm trying it. to do is I'm thinking out it. loud. I that's it. it. But I mean, the, I don't think the extra you know four or five inches of length that Jr. has over Quinn. Okay, D. D. Harmon, 1986, on the Periscope chat has an interesting theory here. I think Jr. Smith's decision making is considered more reliable than Dion. I don't know if that's true or not true, but my God, is that a fascinating question? To I be don't able know. To ask you know coach. what? I would have thought, I would have bought into that theory were it not for game two and that wild ass hook shot that JR yeah, that put bad. up in, in the lane. Like Frank Vogel didn't was, like that. He did I not mean, like that one bit. You look, you could get that from Dion. 
<laughs> like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? But like that, you could just you know, like, as easily get a that. Quest, that is a question. The question that D. Harmon asks is one that would probably break Twitter. <laughs> like if, if, if we put that on a poll, uh, I, think it, I think, Maybe you know, who do you think the coaching staff considers more reliable in their decision making, J.R. Smith or Dean? I think at Cam Brothers, that's going to be a question. Yeah. Um, all right, let's, let's talk about LeBron here for a minute because I do want to get to there was, a, there was some stuff in the third quarter. Uh, with LeBron and Melo, that just as a basketball fan um, was really entertaining. Um, LeBron, LeBron and, and Melo, before we get into LeBron's game specifically, in the third quarter, Melo had, was it 16? 13. Melo had 13. LeBron came out and hit a couple of threes. Those guys were going back and forth. That's 71 years old, like running back and forth up and down the court, combine their ages. They're 71 years old, Andy, which makes them just a couple years less, you know, younger than you. I know. And, I know. And to think that guys could be doing that at your age is really impressive. Well, half half of my age. Half of your age. Half of my age. I don't I want mean, to give them too much credit, but like, right. I mean, that was that was legitimately fun. Like that yeah. moment where those guys were doing that in Mel. I like watching Mello play well. You know, I mean, I've always had a soft spot for Mello. As, as much as when the Lakers, uh, you know, several years ago were trying to put him and Kobe on the same team, I thought that was insanity and wasn't going to work at all. And, and Kobe and Mello were extremely close. And they ultimately decided that it wasn't going to work. And, you know, like the, the years where the Lakers were really chasing Mello during a period where he very clearly was having difficulties adjusting to where he was in his career and what was being asked of him from, from these different teams. Like those were rough, especially as somebody who's always appreciated mellow and in the, in, in the interactions I've had with him, I've always found him really cool. And, yeah, and absolutely. Always, he's, I, he's like I said, remarkably well loved, but around this, the league. I, I'm really happy for him in this situation with Portland because it's worked out so well with a team that needed him that, you know, has, you know, a culture that's instilled with Damian Lillard, where I think Mello understands I can't pull any crap. Like I can't, I, I, whatever, whatever things that I was doing that didn't work in Oklahoma city, didn't work down the stretch with the Knicks, Houston, whatever. I can't do that here. And he's real. I think he's really embraced where he's at and the role. Yeah. And it's wor- It's worked out great. And it's for a fan base that, you know, like Laker fans will hate hearing this. Blazers have an awesome fan base. It's the truth. Of like course. If, you, if you've ever gone to a game in Portland, it's amazing. It's it's amazing. And I this has been really fun to watch as somebody who loves basketball and again has always had this soft spot for Melo. Even acknowledging this, at times he could be his own worst enemy. Okay, here, but here, here's an interesting question that was just put up, like a comment. Um, you know, because the Lakers have been short on you know wing guys, secondary scoring, all that kind of stuff all year. Um, you know, the you know there was talk, so much talk, like the summer's worth of talk that the Lakers should have picked up Carmelo Anthony, or the Lakers were going to pick up Carmelo Anthony. And I one thousand percent was against the idea of picking up Carmelo As Anthony. Was I. Should they have picked up Carmelo Anthony? Like, if they got this guy, this guy, and now you don't know if the context always matters, but this Carmelo Anthony would have helped this team. 
You know, I mean, it's an interesting, but it's a, it's a fascinating question because so much has happened since that, like that feels like 2000 years ago because everything does like they, they'd be better off with Mello, right? Yeah. I mean, they would, but you know, it is important to remember contextually Mello began playing the four more than three, you know, where he really started finding this groove with Portland and Mm -hmm. that wasn't going to be available for him with the Lakers. And, you know, it had, had he have joined this team, I think he would have began at the outset uh, playing the three where, you know, before he became skinny mellow, that was going to be a problem defensively. And this team has been so good on, on that side of the ball and really carved out such an identity there. You know, I, I don't know if it's quite as good a fit this year, but I will say, I will say this, with Mello having gone through this experience and really, I think, understanding the, the joy and the value that can come from being at this stage of his career, if he doesn't re-sign with Portland, maybe it's a move that works out very well for the Lakers. Right. Where, you know, again, because he, he almost can play like kind of an Iggy role where yep. he played 15, 18 You're minutes a, a night, all the, right, but all the way through. Because I, I he, is, he is not a great defender, and he's never been a great Though defender. Though he had some good moments tonight, I will say and that. He's working, but he's trying. Like, he's working. I Like, if you're playing with Anthony Davis and LeBron James and you get 17 to 22 playoff minutes a night, uh, Melo, like this guy, like, he's going to work. Like, he's going to do the stuff, and he's not going to freelance, and he's, he's going to be where he's supposed to be. It's it just... I, I had for almost forgotten that like, oh, wow, like that was one of the options out there for the Lakers. And, you know, he was picked up reasonably early by Portland because they had so many injuries early in the year. He wasn't available when the Lakers were really looking for players later in the year. It would have had to be something that happened really before the season or very early in it. So I understand why it didn't happen, but it's, it is interesting to think about what he would look like. Yeah. on this team. Um, I don't blame the Lakers for not doing Oh, I don't either. I, I, really I don't, don't either. I mean, I don't. look, you look at what they did with Dwight. It's not like they were unafraid to go there. You know what I mean? Like in terms of, you know, taking that type of chance. It's not like they well, were it, afraid. It, it, it's not like you're right. It, and it didn't make tons of sense at the time. Like there were a million reasons not to do it. Like I got all of it. And, and like he he's played much better this year, I think, than people thought that he would. Uh, but it's just a fun hypothetical, and, and you know, in terms of a locker room guy, would have been great. I think I don't yeah. think there's I don't think there's any question about that. All right, so let's let's finish up here with LeBron because, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, I had asked the question in our in our preview, like when do we see scoring LeBron? Because as great as he was in Game One. He didn't put up a lot of points. The triple-double, was, was it 16, 17 assists and 16 rebounds, whatever it was, one way or the other. Game two didn't have to score and didn't. And they, you know, they ran away with that one anyway. But we were waiting for that dominant offensive performance. And in the first half of, of game three on Saturday, not only was he scoring, he was scoring when the Lakers badly needed him to be a guy, not just a facilitator, not just a guy who gets Anthony Davis going and all that kind of stuff, but a dude who puts the ball in the bucket because the Lakers couldn't do it otherwise. He carried them offensively in the first half and really set up what they were able to do in the second. 
Um, six, what is it? He had 22 in the first half, I think it was. Um, and like he answered the question really quickly. The answer is tonight you're going to see LeBron is scoring LeBron. Yeah. I mean, he, he, I guess there was clear. no question there. It was just me making a statement. But yeah, I, 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 I apologize for that. If it's not really, we're having a conversation. I'm not interviewing you. But That's still, no, you know, it's, <laughs> my we, next guest is we, Andy Kamenetsky, the host we, of this show. We can take my answer off air. Right. I mean, I, I, I apologize for both not asking you a question and I don't apologize for not asking you a question because I'm not interviewing you, damn it. Um, you know what I thought was interesting? Uh, Frank Vogel, after the game, said uh, that LeBron was playing to contact. And that, that, uh, that was noticeable to me just because I've talked a lot about in the bubble and a little bit before that, and certainly in the playoffs, LeBron's issues uh, finishing at the rim and that it's had me concerned. And you wonder if LeBron made more of an effort tonight. And I, you know, I'd have to rewatch some of these to, you know, try to, I guess, eyeball relative strength, you know, the relative got, willingness to I got it all up here, Andy. You just asked me a question. It's all up in the old, old seventh, nine. seventh possession, second ah, quarter. The one with the, the pin down. Yeah. <laughs> LeBron can do that, by the way. I can't. Yeah, I know. I should, I really should ask LeBron. It's just, he'll tell you it's well, it's difficult in these zooms to, to get a question to him, but the idea of whether LeBron was more successful tonight as a finisher, because he was far better in game three than he was in game one or two, or mm -hmm. frankly, than he's been in the bubble. If he made more of a point to actually absorb contact as opposed to maybe not playing into it quite as much and that altering what he was doing as much as anything else. I don't know, but I thought it was interesting the way Frank Vogel pointed that out. Because whether he was doing anything different or it just worked better tonight, there's no question that LeBron was really, really playing physically in this game. Yeah. And, you know, playing downhill and, and, and just there, there are always moments where, and I'm not going all Skip Bayless here, where there are always moments where LeBron has the choice to make the pass or not force a shot, but choose himself as the option, uh, perhaps. You mean, you mean when he's not being a chicken shit? Correct. When yes. he is when he's not a, scared of the moment. Right. Uh, overwhelmed by it. Um, yeah. No, Skip, I by the way, was uh, picking on LeBron for mean mugging in the Portland. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I don't know. Every now and then I kind of feel like LeBron can't win with Skip. But it's probably just me. I don't know. I, I'm wait. I think there'll be a time when he can win him over. Um, it's very genuine. It's very genuine. With no, I, I don't feel like in any way this has become uh, Skip's shtick. No, I, I, no, absolutely not. It it's feels all very like genuine. Pretty, well, it feels like legit basketball analysis. Yes, totally. Um, so, yeah, it's – but, like, I think he sensed what was going on. And he's, to say LeBron's got a great feel for, for what's happening on the floor is stupid to say out loud because it's such an understatement. But we'll leave it to Skip. You know, I think you could feel AD was on, like KCP was going too fast. Like, you know, they had that turnover at the beginning. And I actually put this one on LeBron where he had the ball in the corner and he hadn't used his dribble and he threw it to JaVale who had put his head down and was starting up the floor and kind of looked at him like, the hell are you giving me the ball for? You're the guy. All I'm going to do is literally give it back to him. I think LeBron maybe didn't realize that he hadn't used his dribble. Every once in a while, LeBron gets those brain cramps. Um, 
But not yeah, often, so, but it happens. Not often, it happens. Like he had that. Was it? He had that thing. Like he didn't dribble or something. He just came in bounds. Like yeah, weird he, stuff. Period. He didn't owe him. Remember, Lamar did that. A yeah, couple right. times. Exactly. And so you know, all together though, it was it was what I liked about this game and what made it so fascinating to me was it was the first one like this we talked about at the top that hit the formula. LeBron goes thirty-eight, twelve and eight with two steals. AD picks up with a very strong second half and finishes 11 of 18, 29, uh, 11, eight with two block, uh, two steals and three blocks. And if he had hit a free throw, he'd have had 33, 34 points and two superstars, one or two other guys who contribute and they, and play good defense and they run away from a, a good Portland team. And so, um, you know, we talked about, you know, how much did they get to the formula in game two? And in some ways they kind of did play good defense, hit a couple shots and all that game three was the formula shoot well enough from the perimeter, which they did, um, you know, 33%, which for them is good enough from three 50% overall, you know, if they could hit a free throw, they would have won this game by 15 um, and they stopped turning the ball over in the second half. They had 12 at halftime, finished with 17. This was the template, and the first time they looked like a championship team to me. Well, I mean, we, we talked before. In the bubble. Uh, in the bubble. Well, yeah. It, we, but, you know, we talked before, Brian, about, you know, it's thrown around, it's a cliche, but playoff LeBron. Mm-hmm. And as, as great as LeBron played in certain aspects of game one where he had, like, really a – historic triple double in ter- in terms of the of the specific numbers that he put up these are these are very very rare numbers but he had those issues finishing and, and there were some issues offensively with lebron and and a few too many turnovers whereas like that to me it's a great game but it's not truly playoff lebron and especially if you're going to have certain expectations of anthony davis justifiably playing like a superstar and you're going to put that on LeBron like I mean on Anthony Davis that has to be playoff AD mm-hmm. then you have to expect the whole thing from playoff LeBron as well absolutely yeah no, I agree and you know and and in the first half he had a few too many turnovers missed some free throws but by and large this was playoff LeBron absolutely like I think this, this was, was a this was a yes. playoff LeBron game and this was playoff Anthony Davis. Um, all right, so let's look forward a little bit to game four. That's the one that comes really quick, by the way, because I don't yes. think we've mentioned it. The podcast brought to you by. Oh, we did it at the del- top, but we should do it again. The Delicious Pizza. They've got two locations in LA, West Adams area, Hollywood off Sunset. Um, you can order online or you can just go right there, give your order in person, wait to pick it up, and use the password Cam Brothers 20% off. It is awesome pizza local business, and you are supporting a massive Laker fan in Michael Ross. I guarantee he is every bit as excited by this win as anybody watching this show or listening to this show right now. So, again, delicious pizza. Go there. Awesome food. Support a Laker fan. Um, so let's look a little bit at game four on Monday. Monday. Correct? Yep. Monday. I Again, time, flat circle. It's um, – I, 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 this is, I think, one of those times like, okay, do they go from here and kind of build on what, what happened tonight and you see four quarters of or three quarters of 
okay, that's the team that they're supposed to be. That's the group that, that was that was you know Vegas odds to to win. I mean, you know, the, the formula is not that complicated. We've seen that the defense is going to be consistently solid. It was tonight. They're going to be able to continue to put a lot of pressure on Dame and a lot of pressure on McCollum tonight in the first half. Particularly, those guys really responded and overcame some pretty decent defense. Um, but by the end of it, they started to look like they were out of gas. So you have this team that might finally be running out of energy and is definitely overmatched overall. Can you start to roll them in ways? Do you, do you give them the first quarter like they did tonight, or do you get out ahead and actually win a game kind of from start to finish like they did, um, you know, in game two. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking for. You know, that, that kind of consistency, you know, from an, you know, X's and O's and do things differently. I'm curious, does Dion get moments? Do they, do they let AC continue to Rondo run available? the same way? Is Rondo available? Do they, do they lean on AC to do the same kind of stuff that he did tonight? Little things like that. But my big thing, I, I just want to see if like they can carry the mentality because it's been hard for them to generate. Frank Vogel even talked about before the game, even coaching in this environment is different. Like you don't have those natural cues for a team to get hyped up, like tonight they're Moda Center, you know the hostile crowd's going to be there. LeBron elevates for stuff like that. You don't have that, so I mean the code, everything about it is different, and so that's what I'm looking for on Monday. You know what? This uh, just occurred to me in terms of something that I'm I, I'm wondering if there's any type of carryover, and it's it's one of those things where you really end up playing you know, armchair psychiatrist, but. Uh, tomorrow would have been. I'm Kobe's, glad you brought this up. I'm glad you brought this up. Tomorrow would have been Kobe's uh, 42nd birthday, and Frank Vogel was asked before the game if, uh, or either before or after. I don't. It was uh, after. It was after if uh, the team had been planning on doing anything uh, special for that day in remembrance of Kobe. And Frank said that it would be kept in, internal, but you got a very strong sense. Yeah. They, well, I mean, there were reports out that they're going to wear uh, the Kobe jersey, the snakeskin you know, Prince Mama right. Jersey. Right. Um, you know, I mean, Monday, I think, right. You get a very strong sense. The answer is yes. And frankly, it would be shocking if they didn't, but between, you know, that being on their minds tomorrow, you know, what would have been Kobe's birthday and then the game being played on eight, you know, August 24th, eight 24, which is Kobe day. Anyway, you know, the, the emotions of all of that, I'm, Curious to see if we see anything that feels like it's being fueled, uh, you know, being fueled by by Kobe and and that memory and and really wanting to do right by him in this game and in the series. And obviously, these are things that you're going to be reading into, whether it feels positive or negative in the sense of putting too much on themselves. But I, I am going to be curious to see if, if there's anything that feels like signs of that. Well, I, I have thought all year long this idea of, or not all year, but you understand what I mean, since, since the, the crash, that making this season about you know, winning for Kobe, playing for Kobe, show, you know, fulfilling that kind of play, you know, playing with that kind of, like all of those things where you project, you know, that his memory, whatever it is, onto your personal games, you know, the the joy, the motivation, whatever it is, is unfair. And I, I, I don't think it's and I don't think it's particularly healthy. If a player wants to draw inspiration from that, that's one thing. To create kind of a narrative, to kind of create this sort of framework around winning for Kobe, 
When you say that really quickly, do you mean us doing it is unfair, like media fans, or do you I mean think media them doing fa- it to themselves? I think media and fans, I don't think they'll do it to themselves in any way that is, that is internal unless it feels like they're made to. Like it, where you are told I don't know so many... I actually don't know where if I, I think that. Where I think if you're told so many times, like, you got to go win this for Kobe, you got to you know, all that kind of stuff. Like LA needs you to do this for Kobe. Like Kobe, like you have to fulfill this thing. There's so much that comes from what, what it takes to get from point A to point B in a title that needs to come internally. And if guys draw inspiration from Kobe internally, like, you know, something that they learn, their relationship, whatever it might be, that I think is, is great and healthy and it, it can be a source of strength for players or whatever. If it comes out of obligation, out of a feeling that if you don't do something, you're going to let Kobe down, you're going to let L.A. down, you're going to let the memory down or something like that, that's where I think it, it can become unfair and difficult because trying to do something like this in that context to me seems, it, 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 it seems very difficult I, I very taxing. I understand what you're saying, and I don't necessarily disagree, but I also don't think there's really a difference. I mean, ultimately, I you're ultimately, if that is something that is fueling, I remember both of us wrote about this for The Athletic, you know, I, in my case, I think a couple of times, uh, like how, you know, that, that type of burden, you know, whether you're talking about for the organization or whether you're talking about for LeBron specifically, because, you know, becoming the face of the organization Know, after Kobe, you know, the challenge of doing that is something we used to talk about. You know, forget after Kobe retired, we used to talk about this while Kobe was active. You know, the idea, oh God, yeah, uh, you absolutely, know, the, the shadow that Kobe cast over this organization, and you know, through merit, through earning it. You know, I mean, Kobe earned oh, every single bit of juice that he had within that organization and and the exaltations. But it doesn't change the fact that. This was going to be something difficult for the organization anyway, much less within this type of context. But I feel like if that's something that the that these players and the organization feel, in a lot of ways, the impetus for it doesn't matter. You know, wh- whether okay. it's external or whether right. they're putting it on themselves, it's the same thing. I mean, we can go around and around. I just, I feel like, you know, feeling. You, like, you can say that it's unfair of fans to, to put that on them. To feel like you're but, letting down Kobe. But I think, but I think and, they, and I Angeles think it does. In, in the spirit of think, Kobe by not winning a title this but year. I, that's BS. I'm not, I'm not saying that they should feel that, that way. What I am saying is it do feel that way. Ultimately, that thing feel whether fans are putting it out there or not. I okay. think they. I think That's, they likely feel that way themselves. They might, and if they if they feel that way themselves because that's how they feel, I think that can be that can be a you can turn that into a fuel and a motivation. You, you don't want it to become as a burden. That I think that's basically kind of what I'm getting at. Where where it becomes one more thing that you're carrying around that you don't necessarily want to, but you're carrying it because you feel like you have to carry it, not because it's something that lifts you. That's that's the difference. It could be a lifting factor. It could be a burden. It could be, um, and, and, I, and, it's, I, and it's probably different for different guys. I look. I certainly hope that it's a lifting factor. But the truth is, I think it's what they're. I think it's what all these guys were going to feel, regardless. It could be. I, I just think be. it's. I think it is 
so difficult for them not to feel that way. Even if you feel like, frankly, it's unfair to themselves, like even compl- to put that unfair. on themselves. Yeah, I think it's completely unfair. But to, to do it to yourself. Uh, but I, but I, I get a very strong sense that that's how they feel about it, regardless. All right. So uh, we'll be back after Monday's game. I actually will be on uh, with Sedano after the game. Yeah. Uh, doing his playoff party. Very cool of George of to uh, invite us. Uh, Andy was on after game two. I will be on after game four. Uh, George takes weekends off, apparently. Uh, lazy, lazy, Sedona. Come on, man. The, the real pros, Andy, they work every game. Yes. Um, Ignoring George, their I think, family. I think George can take the weekend off. Yeah. <laughs> um, delicious pizza, two locations, West Adams uh, and in Hollywood. Great pizza, tell them. Cam Brothers, whether you go to deliciouspizza.com, you phone the order in or you're picking and picking it up, however you're doing it, deliciouspizza.com. Cam Brothers gets 20% off. Um, really good food, really good pizza. Fun game. Yeah. Lakers win. Uh, what was the final? 116. I don't think we ever said the final. 116, 108. If you're here, you probably know, I feel. Uh, and we'll do this again on um, Monday, right? Yeah, that's the absolutely. Yeah. All right, very good. Thanks so much, everybody, for stopping by. Thanks, everyone. Uh, and see you Monday. <laughs>